It's a privilege to be with you this evening. Like Pastor AJ said, my name is Garrison Fuller, and I have grown up in this church. So it's really an honor to be able to stand here and minister from this stage that I've watched so many phenomenal ministers get to speak from. I am so excited for this word, and just like he said, I've been praying, I've been trying to find the Lord, and I think I found him in this passage. We're going to be in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And what I've titled this message is from strangers to neighbors and neighbors to friends. The focus is to turn the people that are across from us, the street, into friends. The focus is to go into work and turn those people who are strangers into friends. But how do we do that? How do we practically do these things? And so I want to give us four things this evening that I think might help us really move Because once we start this series, as we started last week with Pastor June, who did a phenomenal job, we don't get the option to sit still on our couches anymore. We don't have the opportunity to stay at home and say, it's good enough for me to hear this word and then sit on my couch and not do anything with it. We have now the opportunity to move because we've been equipped on how to move. And so this series is designed to get you out of your comfort zone and into the community. Loving our neighbors. That's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And he says this, this is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. Let's pray. Lord, your presence is so sweet. It's sweeter than any drink we could have. It's more comforting than any relationship we know. It is more powerful than any shame we feel. So Lord, we're asking for it to fall this evening. That it would dwell in the households and that it would empower us to be witnesses, to love our neighbors, to turn the strangers to friends and to share with them the God who we serve. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak this evening that I might preach heaven's word to earth's people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at four things this evening. Four things. We're going to be looking at action, commitment, trust, and sacrifice. Action, commitment, trust, and sacrifice. And I think these four things are the starting points of really being able to love our neighbors. I don't think these are the only things, but I think these are the starting points. And we see Jesus saying something here that has not been said since Moses. Since a man who had the original law, the Ten Commandments, plus all of the other laws that he was supposed to give to the people of Israel. He's saying, this is my commandment. He wasn't speaking as if he was a prophet. He was speaking as if he was God. There is a massive difference. Moses was talking from the standpoint of hearing God and saying, listen, I've heard, I've sat on the mountain, I've gotten these laws, God's told me what to do, and this is what I'm giving to you. Jesus is saying, I am speaking as if I am he. There is a massive difference. And so when he says this, it's not an option. It's not an option. It is a command. It is something that we must do, something that we need to live by, something that we need to honor day in and day out. We don't have the option to not. We must. And so once you hear this, I think you're going to be impressed in your heart to move. We're going to start with this first one, action. And the question arises, as Pastor AJ did in his transition, how do we love our neighbors? Well, we love them with action. 
How did Jesus love the people that he was with? How did he love them with action? Because a love that has no action is simply worthless. If I were to tell my wife that I love her but never show her, then she would never see what I actually say. But if I were to love my wife and tell her and then show her, now she gets a picture of my heart to her. And so we need to figure out how can we actionably love our neighbors? How did Jesus love his people? How did he love the strangers that he was with? And I want you to lean into this. I want you to focus real, real good. I know that's not proper English, but I want you to focus. Because when we focus, I think heaven meets us here. And so we're going to jump over to this passage that I think is a really great passage. And there's a lot of stuff in here. But I'm going to focus on a couple things. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. Everybody hated this dude because of how much money he defrauded from people, because of how much he stole from people. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. And so he was on the outskirts. He was a stranger to even the people in his community. He was a stranger to the people that were the closest to him because of all the things that he'd done. And so Jesus starts walking through, and he's heard about this man, Jesus. And he gets to this place where he's like, yo, Jesus is coming to my city. I got to see this dude because I've heard all the stories. I heard about him feeding the 5,000. I heard about him healing the leper and the paralytic. I heard about him casting out demons. I heard about him doing all this stuff. I got to see it for myself. And so Zacchaeus is really excited to see Jesus. Jesus is walking through a city. and I can imagine Jesus strolling along and all the people on his right, all the people on his left, all the people behind him, all the people in front of him, just crowds following him wherever he went. And he's just casually walking and he's just going about his day. And Zacchaeus out here, he's this little shorter guy. Now, I don't know how short he was, but he was short enough to where he couldn't see over the crowd. So he's probably walking around like this, like, Jesus, you there? I can't see you, but Jesus, you there? And so he's probably real, real short. So what he does is he says, I'm going to climb up in this tree. So he gets up in this tree. He runs over to this tree and he says, "Uh," with his best impersonation. I don't know what it looks like, but he climbs up in this tree, right? And then he gets to this place where he can see Jesus. And then something unique happens. Jesus stops. Jesus was walking through this crowd and he stopped before for people. But Jesus stops. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, you, I'm coming to stay at your house tonight. I'm going to dine with you. And then he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm going to eat with you this evening. And Zacchaeus runs down from the tree and he sees Jesus and he meets Jesus. And then everybody's like, yo, you know who he is, right? Like, you know what he's done, right? You know how much he's stolen from us. You know how much he's defrauded us. You know how much he's done to us, right? You can't begin to dine with this guy because he's the worst. You can't begin to eat with him. Jesus goes to his house. He eats with him. And there's this exchange that happens in Luke chapter 19, and it's a beautiful exchange. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. He says, I'll give back everything that I've stolen more. And then Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. And this is verse 9, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is an incredible moment for Zacchaeus and a very baffling moment for the people around him. This man who was wrong in every single action that he had ever done was being loved by the one who knew or who didn't know. And that everybody thought, Jesus, you can't be with him. You can't go to him. You can't stay with him. But Jesus understood love required action and an action was extended in the form of an invitation. 
It didn't get more complicated than saying, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to dine at your house. And Zacchaeus was up in his place, his high place of pride. He was up in his high place of position, and he hurried down to meet Jesus. Can I tell you, when you extend an invitation to somebody who's proud, they'll probably come down and humble themselves to meet you. Can I tell you, when you extend an invitation to somebody whose position is far beyond what you ever thought you could get, it's going to be a moment where they say, you really want to eat with me? Nobody's ever asked me to do that. Nobody has ever invited me into their home. Nobody has ever loved me. If we are to love the way Jesus loves, we need to extend an invitation. Love requires that we extend the invitation to the people that nobody else would. If we are to really call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to go and find those people who have no relationship to anybody we know. We need to, because that's what Jesus did. And he says it right here in verse 9. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to condemn the lost. He didn't come to say, okay, they're too far gone. I can't find them. He didn't come to say, they're not good enough to come to me. He said, I came to find them and find them with a purpose. Jesus came to seek, and that word seek, I want to make it really clear for you. It's to seek to find, not just to seek for seeking's sake, not just to look to say, okay, I tried to find it, but I couldn't. It was to seek to find. Some people that you're going to have to find are the people who have been hiding from relationship. There's some of the people who have not extended an invitation or been extended an invitation to. And there's some of the people who have been hiding in their house because they're afraid of what people are going to think of them. They're afraid of how people are going to see them. They're afraid of what's going to be taking place if they step into another person's house and they don't know what to say or do. But you and I, as a church, as the followers of Jesus, need to love our neighbors by inviting them in. We need to invite them in. We have to go and find them and bring them close because right now they're on the outskirts and they need somebody who's been, who's been, who's been encountered by Jesus to encounter them. Zacchaeus, this man who was on the outskirts, a stranger to Jesus. How did Jesus love him? How did Jesus love the people that were around him? He loved them with action. You can't sit on your couch anymore. You can't stay in the comfort of your own home saying it's been a pandemic. The weather's getting warmer. I'm not saying forsake all the rules that we've put in place for protection. I'm saying use wisdom. I'm saying that we can throw barbecues and be socially distant. I'm saying that we can invite people to have a real fun game of cornhole outside our front yards. I'm saying that we can invite people to come play in our backyards and have their kids and our kids play a game of socially distant soccer. I'm saying that we can invite those people who are our neighbors that have been our neighbors but are actually strangers for the last 10 years and say, you know what, I've so I'm sorry, I haven't been as real or as good of a neighbor as I should have. I want to invite you to something in my house. This has been a season where we could have forsook, forsaken action for as long as we wanted. But now that that season's ending, we're entering into a new place, and I believe that God is calling us to action right now. We can't sit down and say, okay, God, it's been a pandemic. I've been safe. I've been protected. God has been protecting you, so you better start moving. You better start going to people because people need Jesus. The world is living in fear, and we cannot sit on our couches with the message of hope. You need to move. You need to. You need to move with action. You need to move. So get up. 
I want you to get up right now at your houses and stand up and start moving because that type of movement is what it's going to take to go out and reach your neighbors. That's what it's going to take to go and reach the strangers. That's what it's going to take to even reach your friends. It's going to take action. And after action ensues, what's the next step, right? What do we do after action? Well, we commit. We commit. We commit to our word. We commit to these people. We commit because when we commit, we're showing them that we are actually pursuing a relationship with them. Jesus did this really, really well. And I want to tell you a story about how I did this pretty well in the summer of 2011. I haven't done it well now, but I did it really well then. I was playing football. I was in high school. This was my prime, like golden years for football. And I was working out every single day. But I realized some things. I needed to get a speed coach because I was slow. Like, listen, your boy was a sluggard. I got caught and I'm embarrassed to say it. But I'm letting you know because it's freeing my soul. There were moments where I was sitting there and I was like, man, I'm slow. I need to get faster. And there were moments where I was saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not strong enough. I need to be stronger. And so what I did, I found a speed coach and a strength coach. And in the summer of 2011, I dedicated my entire summer, six days a week, to working out. I wanted to be great at my craft. Not just good, I wanted to be the best on the field. And so what I did, I did that. I went out there six days a week. In the mornings with my speed coach, it was we go out there at 8 in the morning and we do footwork drills as well as like longer distance, as long as you can get on a football field. It's only 100 yards. So we did about 60-yard sprints, 70-yard sprints, just maintaining. We did footwork. In the middle of the day, this was not all day, every day, but some days I would go get a lift in. And then in the evening at around five or six, we'd go run hills. This was the schedule for my life every single day for the entire summer of 2011. Can I tell you it was the hardest thing I've ever done? It was difficult to commit because there were moments in which I didn't want to wake up. Eight in the morning after I just finished out, finished the night before 25 hill sprints. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, listen, my body's too tired. I don't want to get up. I'm exhausted. I can't do it anymore. There were moments in which I said, you know what? I just need to eat food because I'm too tired to do anything else. There were moments in which I said, I want to give up because it's getting too hard. There were moments in which I said, I cannot do this anymore because my body physically needs to rest. But I got up every single day. Every single day I got up without fail. And what resulted was my strongest, fastest, most in shape, ready to play season I've ever had. Unfortunately, I broke my collarbone the first day of practice. I didn't get to play. That's a different story for a different time. I was really sad, very frustrated, but say la vie. I committed every single day in that summer. It was hard, but nobody ever said it was going to be easy. It was uncomfortable. But nobody said it would ever be comfortable. It was really frustrating, but nobody said it would ever be super happy. It was really, really difficult. But I committed every single day. And I want to go right where June, Pastor June went last week. I want to go to this moment where Jesus commits to his friends, to his disciples. Where he commits to them so deeply that he changes his position. The mindset they have of him. This is John chapter 13, verses 5 through 9. And we know this very well because Pastor June just preached on it. It's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus commits to these men. He committed to them the moment he called them. He committed to them the moment he ate with them. He committed to them the moment he, bit, he did miracles with them. He committed to them in every aspect of his life and theirs. 
And in this moment, he commits to them in a way where he takes the position of a servant and he washes their feet. Relationships are hard, really difficult. The ones with our friends, they're the ones who can hurt us the worst because they know the most. Relationships with acquaintances, that's not hard to keep because we only see them every once in a while. We only have to deal with them every occasional time. But relationships with our friends, those are really hard to keep because there are times in which they'll offend us. There are times in which they will just completely let us down. There are times in which bitterness has the opportunity to rise up because relationships are hard. And Jesus has this moment with Peter where he's beginning to prepare this moment where he's washing or beginning to wash his feet. And he says to Peter, and Peter, sa- Peter says to Jesus, he's like, Master, you don't, why are you doing this? You don't need to. I need to be doing this to you. But Jesus says, it's better that I do it to you so that you can be clean. So he gets down and he washes his feet. And Peter's like, well, then wash me all over. I need every place washed. But Jesus commits to these men, not just in the easy and fun times when they're doing miracles together. He commits to the dirtiest part of them, their feet. He commits to the part in which only the servant of the house was tasked to do. He commits to this mess that is built up because of all of the places we've walked, because of all of the moments that we've suffered, because of all of the shortcomings that we have. He commits to this mess so he can turn it into his message. Can I tell you that Jesus committed to every single one of his disciples, even the one who would betray him, so that he gave himself completely free so that we could have his, so that we could join him in heaven. This is the type of commitment we need with people. We need to commit to people in such a way that we're not only committing to their fun times and their happy times and their really good times, but we're committing to their mess because when we commit to their mess, we then are helping and orchestrate this message that God will use to change somebody else's life. You see how we love strangers, neighbors, and friends is we commit to them. We commit in every aspect. We commit even when it's hard. We commit even though it's frustrating. We commit even though my legs and my back and my shoulders and my mind can't take anymore. We commit when we're impatient. Because maybe God's working on that patience button for you. Maybe he's working on that patience for you in that committed relationship. Maybe God's working on your gentleness in that committed relationship. Maybe God is working on your peace in that relationship. Maybe God is working on your joy. Maybe God is working in you so much so that you need to commit all the more so that you can begin to have this group of people who invite the strangers into their home. We need to commit to the kingdom of heaven and to people. I think that Jesus loved us by committing to us. I I know that Jesus loved us by committing to us. I know this in my heart because he did something nobody else would do when he came down to the position where only he could to make me clean. I wasn't clean before I met Jesus. I wasn't saved before I met Jesus. I wasn't ready to go talk to people before I met Jesus. In fact, when when I did go talk to people, I brought my mess. And I was hoping that they could clean me up and make me all good and and whole and ready to, to get into these beautiful relationships and to fill out the purpose that I had for my life. But no, even the people who were the best of the best could not make me clean. It was only Jesus. 
We need to commit to people's mess. We can't let their mess simply be their mess. We have to invite ourselves into this place of their mess that we can help them see Jesus and have Jesus transform this mess into a message. But I want to tell you one thing. You were a mess. You were a mess before you met Jesus. And this message that you now have, you need to commit to sharing with the people at your job. You need to commit to sharing with the people that are in your neighborhood. You need to commit to sharing with the stranger that you meet in line at Starbucks. Even though it might be a little different nowadays, you need to commit. Because when we do, we're committing to what God told us to do and loving our neighbors. And loving each other as he has loved us. How do we commit? We commit by dying. It's really, really simple, guys. We commit by putting our pride aside and saying, I'm going to love this person even though it hurts me. We commit by saying, I'm going to love this person even though my mind is so exhausted of the conversations that I have to have with them. I'm going to commit even though it's so difficult and it's trying me day after day and I can't go on any further. I'm going to commit because Jesus didn't stop with me. We need to commit to people. Once commitment ensues, then trust can be fostered. And when we have trust with people, there's a growing, beautiful, blossoming relationship. My wife, we've been married for the last uh, four years, but really three years. It's a complicated story that I don't have time to get into as well. I love telling it, but it's not the right time right now. She told me when we were getting to know each other, this was back in 2016, 2017, And she told me, she said, hey, you're coming to Germany, that's great, but I won't believe you until I see you. And I was like, what? Okay, great. So I showed up, showed up in Germany. She's from Germany. And so in that moment, I was like, so do you trust me now? And she said, no. And I said, okay. She said, I won't trust you until I'm married to you. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, That's that's a really big statement. And so I said, well, let's buy you a flight so you can meet my family because she hadn't met my family before. So we buy, buy her a flight. She comes and she hangs out with my family and we have a good time. And when she's here, I propose to her. And then one day later, we get married. And then and only then does she say, I trust you. That's the, that, that was the first time when she said, I trust you. Not when I got on a plane to come to Germany. Not when I went to meet her parents to ask for their, for, for their daughter's hand in marriage. Not when I showed up at her front door and said, I'm here, let's start doing this and be intentional about dating so we can be married. It wasn't until the moment in which I put a ring on her finger and then married her in which she committed to me. She didn't even trust me when I actually proposed. She only trusted me when I married her. This type of trust was something that I had to earn. It's something that I had to commit to. It's something that I had to show action in. And it's the only way that she would start to trust me. Without action and commitment, trust can never grow. Without the right contents for soil, plants will never yield fruit. If you aren't planting action and commitment, trust will never grow in your relationships. If you aren't allowing the God of heaven, 
to start moving you to action and then committing to people, you will never see a relationship where you actually have full trust with that person and they have it with you. You might trust them on a few things, but you won't trust them on the parts of you that are wrong, that are dirty, that are messy. And Jesus, we see this in Mark chapter 2. This is with Jesus' neighbors, and this is the story where he heals a paralytic. This man who doesn't really have a name, we don't know much about him except that he was paralyzed. There were so many people at Jesus' house that this man could not get in. And so his friends pick him up, take him to the place where they can get on the roof, open the roof, and then they lower him to see Jesus. Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven, The Pharisees hear this, and this is in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter one, 2, verses 1 through about 13. And the Pharisees are like, well, how can this man say his sins are forgiven? Is he God or something? Again, Jesus is referencing something no man has ever referenced. And he says, which is easier? Which is easier to say? Pick up your pallet and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk, my guy. So the guy gets up and walks, and everybody starts praising God. This moment of trust is from twofold. One, the friends, and the man, the paralyzed man. We see these friends, they have committed to their friend, who could not move, could not do much, could not see, and could not do anything by himself. They committed to him, and they committed him so much that it moved them to action. And then what happened after that is they, they, they pulled him up to a place in which he'd never been before. They pulled him up to a place in which he'd never been before. And they, they, they opened the roof and they said, okay, we're going to let you down in front of Jesus. The people that you have in your life, that you have committed to, that you have grown in relationship with, the way to trusting them is not first with the big stuff, it's with the little stuff. It's with the little secrets over time that we share with them and we see how they handle them that brings trust. It's with the moments that we share with them our messy parts that bring trust. It's with the moments that we can be completely vulnerable, lying on a mat paralyzed, that bring trust. It's the moments where they can pick us up and say, don't worry, I've got you. I'm going to bring you to the person who can heal you because I trust you and you trust me. These are the moments that bring trust. And as we begin to trust our friends and our neighbors and even the stranger, depth of relationship begins to ensue. These men didn't just trust that Jesus could heal their friend. And this man, the paralyzed man, didn't just trust that their friends or that his friends would do the right thing. It was incredible moments that led up to this moment that we can't see that are behind the scenes. It's moments that are continuously hidden throughout the entirety of history with the people that you know that will bring trust. This doesn't have to be in front of everybody. But the moments you do share with those people, it's incredibly important. Because as you are bringing your mess and they're bringing theirs, 
healing comes. Relationship is messy. I'm going to say this quite often because I think we kind of misunderstand this. Relationship is messy, but that doesn't mean there's not a message. The message is that that messy can be turned into a beautiful story for Jesus. The most life-giving, incredible, death-defying story that could bring hope to other people is the message that you have. And trust is the very thing that will allow you to start sharing it. You see, when this man got healed, he just got up and walked. There wasn't a moment where he said, okay, I have to, I have to, like, I got to make, okay, let me see. Just, okay, it works, it works. No, no. It just says he got up and walked. You see, when we come to Jesus with our messiness, with our brokenness, with our frustration and our sin and our shame, when we come to him with our shortcomings, even when we come to him with the good things, you know what he says to me? You know what he says to us? It doesn't matter. It means nothing in my presence. But you know what does? Is your healing. So I'm going to wipe away all the things that you've done. I'm going to wipe away all of the things that you've accomplished and all the things that you failed on. And I'm going to heal you so that you can go out and share what I've told you. I'm going to bring you from a place of paralyzation to a place of walking. And some of us introverts, some, believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert. Y'all might not know that, but I'm actually an introvert. I need a day to recharge, right? That's great. I love it. Some of us introverts are saying, I'm an introvert. I can't go out and share with people. Yes, introverts, I'm coming for you. You're saying, you know, that's not my skill set. That's not my gifting. Maybe hospitality is. Maybe inviting people to your home is. Maybe service is. Maybe bringing people to the place where they can see Jesus is. Maybe just being a really good friend to to those two people that you have is your gift. And as you are an introvert, that doesn't mean that you can't talk to people. It just means you have to trust them. You need to get out of your comfort zone because the comfort zone of an introvert is alone. And what can we do alone except sit paralyzed on our couch? What can we do alone except be alone? We need to start bringing people around us that will encourage us to move. We need to start bringing people around us that have the word of heaven living inside of them so they can speak it to our hearts of earth. If we fail to allow community to happen, then we will miss out on being able to share the message that we've been given, which is the message of healing and life. Introverts, invite people. Begin to harbor trust in your relationships. And as you do, allow those people to push you to places you've never been. How did Jesus love his people? With trust. And lastly, sacrifice. See, once trust is built and established, it's easy to sacrifice. Am I right, Pastor June? Am I right, Pastor AJ? It's easy to sacrifice when trust is built. But when there is no trust, it's hard because we don't know how this person's going to deal with our sacrifice. And so there are moments in which we choose not to because we're afraid of the response. I want to show you how Jesus sacrificed in each of these three stories. Let's go back to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was walking through the city. He saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus saw him. 
They had this exchange. Jesus shows up at his house. They eat together. Salvation comes. The Son of Man did not come to seek and save this, or this, the Son of Man. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But in this moment, we see in a little, I think it's verse 7, that the people got mad at Jesus. They got mad because Jesus was the one who was talking to this man who was an outsider. What did Jesus sacrifice in this story but not his reputation? He sacrificed what people thought of him so he could pick up what the heavenly father told him he was. He sacrificed the moment in which everybody around him was saying, you can't talk to him so that he could seek and save Zacchaeus. Some of us need to sacrifice our position as the holy one and come down to where we can talk to people. Some of us need to become humble and take the place of a servant rather than the person who is the greatest. What does it say in the scriptures? What does Jesus say about himself? He came to serve, not to be served. We need to sacrifice our reputation because when we do, we're allowing people to come close. You are not better than them. I am not better than you. Nobody is better than anybody else. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We need to start thinking as if God has just given me a message that I need to share. That I need to help people see the goodness of Jesus. Jesus was ready to sacrifice his reputation. Does your reputation at your job mean more than your identity in Christ? Does your reputation in your family mean more than your identity in Christ? Does your reputation in your school mean more than your identity in Christ? Does your reputation with anything you do mean more than your identity in Christ? Because if it does, then you will never sacrifice it for the greater good, which is loving people. You'll never, because you hold so tightly. What sacrifice looks like, it looks like holding with an open hand the very things that God has given you. It looks like saying, God, this is what you've given me, yet I surrender it to you so that whenever you want it, you can take it back. We give up the very thing we want so that we can chase after the person of Jesus. Sacrifice means exactly what Jesus talked about in, the, in verse 13 of John chapter 15. To lay your life down for your friend. Jesus was talking about this in two, twofold, I think. One, in the perspective of physically dying because he was foreshadowing his death. But then two, dying to our self-desires. Dying to our comfort. Comfort and community generally don't mix. When you have a starting place of comfort, you'll never seek community. When you have a place where you are recognized as comfortable at your house, in your couch, or at your job, in your position, you'll never seek community at a deeper level. Comfort is actually the opposite sacrifice. It's holding tightly onto what we have so that we don't have any of the unknowns. Sacrifice will bring you into the unknown. It'll bring you into a place where you have to learn to trust Jesus. How did Jesus sacrifice for his people? He sacrificed with his life. Is your life a sacrifice? Are you constantly saying, my life is not my own, I must pick up my cross daily and follow the God who called me to win the city? 
Because without you, we're not going to win the city. Can I tell you, I'm going to make this really clear. A pastor from this stage is not going to win the city. The ministers at this church are not going to win the city. The people that are sitting in these seats are the people that are going to win the city. It's not about how great of a message we preach. It's not about how many followers we have. It's not about how much content we create. It's about the people in this church that are going to win the city. It's a sacrifice from our end to create this place. And we have the privilege of sacrificing. Do you have the privilege of sacrificing for the people in your neighborhood? Do you have the privilege of sacrificing for the people at your job? Do you have the privilege of sacrificing? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, you do. And guess what? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be very frustrating at times. It's going to be moments in which you say, I want to give up. But those are the moments in which God can fill your cup. When you're empty, he is full. When you're at your last drop, he's got a whole cup waiting for you. But what it takes from you to pour your last drop. Pour your last drop. Empty yourself of what you have that you might pick up what Jesus has. How did Jesus sacrifice in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 with the paralytic? Well, very plainly, he sacrificed his house. His house turned from a place of comfort to a place of community. His house, went from, his, his house went from this place where he was now sitting down and resting to a place where he was engaging the people who were lost, who were unwell. Is your house a place where you go to hide? Or is your house a place where you can create community? If we are hiding in our homes, people in our neighborhoods will never hear the message of the gospel. You might have sent a text message constantly to these people saying, come to church, come to church, come to church. And without fail, they never come. But when you invite them into your home, they'll gladly come eat with you. When you throw a barbecue, they'll come out of their houses. When you set up some cornhole, they'll come play with you. When you sacrifice your place of comfort for now the place of community where Christ can be known... That's the time in which Jesus shows up. Sacrifice. And lastly, how did Jesus sacrifice? With his friends, with the disciples. He sacrificed his position in heaven. He sacrificed his position on earth. He took the form of a servant. He took the lowest possible form that you could ever imagine. That is one who was the lowest. And he said, I've come for you. I've come to lay my life down for yours. How are we to love each other? We're to love each other by our acts. Action, commitment, trust, and sacrifice. How did Jesus love us? but by his acts. But by his moments of action where he healed the sick, by his commitment to the mess that we were, by his trust in healing us when we were broken, and by his sacrifice yielding his life for ours. How did he commit to us? By his acts. 
This is the very type of life we need to live on a daily basis because if we don't, we're missing out on the fullness of Jesus. And other people are missing out on the fullness of healing. What Jesus came to do was love us without condition. And love us in our condition. These moments that we have, this season that we're in of a pandemic, of being afraid of sickness, of wearing masks, socially distancing. Y'all, church is coming back. Church is coming back. We need to be here. We need to gather as a community. We need to gather as the church, as the global church, so that people can start to see Jesus. We need to live with faith that supersedes the very mountains that we're looking at. So that we can start to really see the city one. Loving our neighbor starts with our acts. Be action. Be in action. Live in action. Commit to them. Build trust, sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what he did for us on the cross. He came down from heaven to earth to love us in our mess. To be with us, but never, ever, ever shy away from the dirt. He came to sit with us and eat with us. He came to dine with the sinners. And he lived so beautifully, so perfectly. And as he did, he was the only one qualified to pay the penalty for our sin, for what we did wrong. So he sacrificed his life on the cross, displaying his final act of service, of sacrifice toward us, that we might join him in relationship in heaven. This is the message of the gospel. This is how we love our neighbors. This is how we turn them from strangers to friends and from neighbors to friends. We love them the way Jesus loved us. And if that's you who has never experienced the love of Jesus, now is the perfect time. There's a QR code that'll pop up on your screen or a button that you can click. Scan the QR code, click the button. But I want you to do something in addition to that. I want you to raise your hand. Because when you do, I believe when you respond outwardly to what the heart says inwardly, we're now making a commitment with our bodies, what our heart believes. Commit. And as you do, pray this with me. Say, Father, forgive me. I am a sinner. I confess Jesus as Lord of my life. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And by this, you have brought me salvation. Amen. If that's you, we want to connect with you and we want to get to know you. Fill out whatever form is there that'll pop up. And I'm sure Pastor AJ can help you with that, but somebody will be able to help you. But church, it's been a privilege to be able to be with you. We need to turn those strangers into friends, those neighbors into friends. And we need to love them in the same way Jesus loved us with his acts. Church, it's been a privilege.